Malab Keen, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is the Dollar Bin Podcast, your favorite comic book review show, where we talk about bad, sometimes good, obscure trade paperbacks, and then review a comic book we found in the Dollar Bin. I'm your host, Dees Casillas. Thanks for hanging out this week. Before we get into it with today's selections, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Blue Spot Comics, your newest online source for all your comic book needs, new and back issues, rare variants, Star Wars vintage collectibles, Marvel toys, classic gaming equipment and more follow them at, at blue spot comics on instagram and facebook and tell them the dollar bin sent you and you get an extra 10 percent off your order now this week we're talking about generation x the second series volume one number one through six uh, natural selection which was published in 2017 it was written by christina strain and art by a bunch of fucking beaners <laughs> and i can say that because i'm mexican so suck it pc patrol but seriously, though, every X-Book now is just drawn by a conglomerate of brown people. Allow me to read a few names. Amilcar Pina, Alberto Albuquerque, Martin Morazzo, Felipe Sobrerio. Is Marvel just picking their artists up in bulk at Home Depot now or what? Now, I questioned whether I was going to do Generation X this week because I try to stay away from bigger things, although I have done some Marvel stuff, obviously. Uh, and I actually plan on doing an entire month of just X-Men books. That's right. May is going to be X-May, guys. All X-Men, all May long. I've been going through and reading X-Men Gold, Blue, Red, we're going to talk about those. Reading Astonishing X-Men Volume 4 by Charles Soule. Basically everything from about 2014 to 2019 up until the Hickman run. And I've also been reading all the new Hickman books, which I was completely oblivious about until recently. So we're going to talk about all X-Men all May long. So make sure and mark it on your calendar. But I'm pretty sure the month of May is already marked on every calendar. So this was the second attempt at a Generation X book, which is interesting because there have been a myriad of young student books over the years. Um, New Mutants obviously was the original one, which evolved into X-Force. Then a few years later, we got Gen X Volume 1, and that was canceled. Uh, soon after, we got New X-Men, Academy X, those we do not speak of, Young X-Men. New Mutants returned in several iterations, some of them with new students and some of them with the old guard, all grown up. But as the new mutants still, which was kind of confusing considering they're the old mutants, but they're still the new mutants. Was new mutants their team name? Why do they call themselves the new mutants still? It's wildly confusing. Just say the X-Men. But basically, it's like if Saved by the Bell were a comic book. I think that would make Monet, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, and I'm perfectly okay with that. When I wake up in the morning and the lawn gets out of water. And I'm pretty sure Skin would be Screech. But at its heart, Xavier's is a school, and I think we always need that school aspect in the X-Universe. I think that's kind of what the Hickman version of X-Men currently is missing. Well, one of the things it's missing. Again, we'll talk about that all in May. For someone like me, who was an 8th grade dropout and has a GED, it's shocking how much the school aspect actually interests me. These stories were always great because we got the more human and fun aspect of the X-World. It wasn't just stand up the bad guy, knock him down, etc. These characters were really growing up and figuring out how to be people in a world that fears and hates them. Kind of like Asians in America now. Double yikes for Jubilee, I guess. And if you don't like that joke, fuck you, that's the world we live in currently. If you don't like it, do something about it. I didn't make the climate we live in. 
Now, for anyone who never read the original Generation X, it was spawned from the Phalanx Covenant crossover in 1994, which spanned across all the X books and couldn't have really come at a better time. Uh, we had some pretty ramped up storylines in this time in the X universe and kind of needed something to slow us down a bit and give us a little bit of a different tone across the whole universe. In the moment, I didn't appreciate Gen X. I actually didn't read that book until about two years into the series. I think issue number 24 was the first one I picked up and I kind of fell in love and slowly backtracked and ended up reading the entire series. I just wasn't at an age where I could really appreciate what Scott Lobdell was doing in that book originally, but it will forever be one of my favorite X series now. That book has true pathos. Um, I don't know if you've ever said this on this show, but Scott Lobdell is one of the greatest X writers of all time. He truly had a grasp on writing these characters and how to write X-Men and mutants in general. He knew how to make them still be outcasts, but also be human and us to understand really what they were going through. Uh, feel the connections of them more than just the action-packed pace of these comic books. People may not remember, but Scott Lobdell had the very hard gig of following Chris Claremont's monumental run on the X-Men. He was the next writer to pick up that book, and he didn't fumble it at all. Some of my favorite X-Men comic books were just the issues where they were just being humans and interacting with each other. The part where they fought Magneto is really kind of the most boring part of the books. Who they are and watching them grow as people is what's most interesting. And Scott Lobdell has a way of really writing people in the way they interact and keeping them consistent, which is nice. A lot of writers don't keep their characters consistent. You can fast forward through the next minute because I'm going to rattle off a couple issues that I love of the X-Men. Uncanny X-Men, issue number 340. Iceman goes ice skating with Storm and Rogue. There's not a lot of action in this issue, but there's a lot of character development and some deep, deep feeling and interaction between these people. That will forever be one of my favorite issues of the X-Men. Uncanny X-Men number 318, the issue that directly followed the Phalanx Covenant and led into Gen X number one. This issue, Jubilee is leaving the junior team when she's been an x-men this whole time she also has to leave the only thing she's really known as a family this hits all the feels real hard uncanny x-men number 297 also starring jubilee this is the issue directly following the executioner's song crossover during that crossover professor x is injected with a legacy virus to heal him uh, after he got shot by who they thought was cable but actually strife so he survives and he's able to walk for a limited amount of time until this cure that Apocalypse gave him wears off. Well, in issue number 297, Jubilee and Professor X go rollerblading. It's the most adorable thing ever, and so heartwarming to see them connect. They were always kind of distantly connected. Jubilee joined the X-Men when Professor X wasn't around. He was his first new student in a long time, but she was never really his student. She kind of became an X-Men, but bypassed the whole Professor X thing. So they had an odd relationship, and they really connected here in some very great ways and deep ways. And at the end, the cure starts to wear off. Professor X can't walk anymore, and Jubilee has to carry him. Tearjerker. But the first Generation X book was a great extension of uh, the X universe, introducing us to all new characters and slowly developing them. These people are truly fleshed out with ticks, character traits, and unique designs and power sets. They really strive to set them apart from characters and make them stand out. And honestly, it was an all-new team, except for Jubilee, and the last all-new memorable team. So many of those characters became embedded in mainstays in the X-World. Uh, Skin, 
Chamber, Monet, obviously Jubilee, Paige Guthrie, a.k.a. Husk. Skin and Husk? Well, they had a weird thing going on there. I mean, not to say that Wolfman, boy, dog, guy, obligatory feral character from the young X-Men wasn't super memorable. Oh, shit. I've already said the name of that title twice in this episode now. If you say the name of that book three times, it conjures up Mark Guggenheim and he giddily berates you with contrived plots and dialogue while Marvel still, for some fucking reason, showers him with money. Seriously, that guy sucks so bad. How does he still get work? But do yourself a favor and read the original Generation X series. Uh, this book only suffered because of the direction comics went in in the late 90s. And I think that's why it got canceled. Um, as the Ultimate Universe started popping up in the late 90s and real comics got more common, uh, you had Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Millar were doing gritty reality comics where every superhero had to be a real universe person and everything was kind of ramped up. It was like a more well-written version of the early 90s, but certain tropes where kind of real-world heroes in a superhero universe was very, very common and pretty, pretty played out during this time. But the late 90s was the start of it. And that whole thing kind of pushed out the more real and fun nature of Generation X, where it was just character pieces, which we couldn't do anymore. It eventually evolved into a dark version of Generation X with Warren Ellis taking over. And then they blew the team up. No, literally, like they blew them up with a bomb. That was the end of the series. Cool. But now we're here. Uh, the latest Gen X, which ran around the time of Astonishing X-Men by Charles Soule in the gold, blue, and red books, as we talked about earlier. Um, I'm actually a big Jubilee fan, so I was hoping for the best. Um, unfortunately, Jubilee is really a mere background character in this. Uh, Chamber, a.k.a. the best part of Generation X, floats around in the background being useless and not snarky anymore. Lame. When did he stop being British? This book really stumbles because it's kind of predicated upon the fact that you know all these characters in the book uh, that you probably don't care about. Yeah, most people know Quentin Quire from Grant Morrison's run on New X-Men, and he's been around since. But Eyeball Guy, Nature Girl, just a couple other new guys. It makes the book slightly inaccessible to new readers who aren't embedded in the X-Universe. And even people who are, these characters have never been fleshed out or really written to know anything about them, so you don't have any real connection to who these people are. And they never really give you one. And these are not top tier characters by any means, which is fine, I love that. I'm actually a huge fan of books with D-list characters. I mean, my dream team of X-Men would include Havoc, Dazzler, Longshot, and Forge, so. But these guys are background players at best, and they really seem like background players, even as the main characters in this book. We know nothing about them, and we don't learn much about them either. Uh, they're all cookie-cutter personality. Uh, nothing unique happens with them. Nothing stands out about them that makes them really different from each other. They're more shallow than Quentin Quire. But why would I care about them if I don't even know them? And the writer doesn't do anything to help me get to know them. There's one standalone issue that focuses on Eyeball and Nature Girl going on an adventure to fight a guy named the Rat King in the sewer. Uh, yeah, Marvel. Uh, it's the Eastman and Laird estate. Uh, they're calling, they said they're suing. Who are you, dude? I am the Rat King. Christina Strain had an opportunity to open these characters up and really give us some depth about who they are, you know, 
why is the sewer weird? Uh, who are they together? Who are they separately? Who are they as a team? Where do they fit in the team? How do they feel connected or disconnected from the rest of the X-Men and Generation X team? But we don't get any of that. It just fell flat. It's a random issue that seems very filler where they go fight a guy in a sewer and then they go back to the mansion. Nothing really happens. And the one character who we know, Quentin, is just a jerk for sake of being a jerk, which is super one-dimensional also, and eventually wears pretty thin. He's always a jerk. Got it. Superman always does good. Mark Guggenheim always sucks. And Quentin Quire's always a jerk. Awesome. Eventually, you just got to blame the rest of the team for even continuing to hang out with Quentin. Like, maybe it's their fault. Bling is the most complex character and the one I like the best. I actually really liked her from the very first time she was introduced. She's got this fear of wanting to be an X-Men, but thinking that she's on kind of this junior varsity squad that's never going to get an opportunity to be an X-Men. That storyline seems like an afterthought and isn't really played up to its maximum. It almost seems like forced conflict to have a reason for her to even be there. And then, of course, at the end of the six issues, M, a.k.a. Monet, is the villain in one of them. And this felt like such a forced cameo of Monet being like, hey, so remember, this is a Gen X book. Be your own book. You don't have to throw Monet in there just for us to know and feel like it's connected to the old book somehow. Make it your own. If you have to stand on the back of the old book, this book isn't even worth reading. The art is fine. Uh, it doesn't stand out as spectacular but it's not bad it's great it's passable great is it's not great it's fine it's good it's passable there's nothing wrong with it but there's nothing overly exciting about it all in all though i really wanted to love this book but i've got to be honest this is a five dollar book it had a fairly strong start and i was pretty excited after the first issue but it just kind of goes nowhere it meanders and dawdles around and it's just kind of a nothing burger it's not even bad it's just nothing i mean the worst you can be is uninspiring you know make me hate you at least mark guggenheim made me do that with young x that book of mutant characters when they're not older that was close but i felt nothing i just kind of read it and that was that this only ran about five more issues, I think, which I do plan to read at least to finish this series out. But I honestly don't expect much out of it. Hopefully Jubilee is doing better in Excalibur now. And on to our dollar bin pick of the week. This week, published in 1994 from Valiant Comics, we have Ninjak number one. Now I would tell you what Ninjak is about, but I'm not really sure. And I did read the book. Here's what I do know. It's got a really shiny cover. You can even see I bought it for a dollar. Cover's kind of cool. Very 1994, uh, drawn by Joe Casada. I think I mentioned this on a previous episode where we, we reviewed Ash number one as the dollar bin pick of the week, also drawn and created by Joe Casada. Uh, he was a fantastic artist. This is a beautiful book. It's very well drawn, and I think ahead of his time for his art, in a time when it was all kind of Rob Liefeld extreme. Ah, do the thing. Joe Quesada was doing a very unique, very beautifully drawn books. And for those of you who are unaware, and I know I say things like this a lot, but in the early 90s, the comic book game was weird. And Valiant Comics was actually huge for like two weeks. Uh, this was probably at the tail end of those two weeks. But I read this book and um, I don't know what's happening. Uh, there's a character, it seems like he may have sexually assaulted a woman, and then he kills a bunch of people. I think what Valiant had is they were actually pushing to be like a little more edgy than even Image Comics. They were 
showing more veiled nudity, uh, more blood, more gore, really trying to push that limit and be the one thing in mainstream comics, although they're the very fringe edge of mainstream comics, still trying to be a mainstream big publisher that was doing a little more edgier stuff. And it worked for like two weeks. A Valiant Fortnite. But yeah, I have no clue what's going on in this book, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. I read it. Uh, it's very confusing. Uh, an old guy in diapers drops Black Widows on a guy to kill him. Uh, that seems like the least effective way to kill him. They're also in a big warehouse that the guy in the wheelchair owns. So now he's just got Black Widows all over his warehouse. Good plan, dude. You're not mobile. You're in a wheelchair and very susceptible to any type of injury. You're going to die of a Black Widow bite and yeah i'm sure when the writer thought up he's like this guy's got these black widows from brazil and he drops them on it's gonna be badass it's like yeah i guess what is this fear factor or saw just shoot him you've got a million thugs around you bullets are essentially free this is america it's your god-given right to shoot someone who people are is kind of confusing where the narration is coming from is kind of confusing i think ninjack is actually narrating the first part of the book uh, then he's not ninjack he's just a guy who's naked uh maybe having sex with someone there's a couple different characters that have very similar names and look kind of the same so it's difficult to follow uh, also it was kind of fucking boring so maybe i just wasn't paying attention anyway uh that's kind of a shit review but this book was pretty shitty so it's a dollar bin comic a hundred percent there's a reason valiant has had like 18 owners and just keeps recycling through that old crap and can't be consistent because they suck that's it guys for the dollar bin podcast we appreciate you taking a listen uh again check out blue spot comics on instagram and at blue spot comics and on facebook uh tell them dollar bin sent you and you get an extra 10 percent off your first order they've got all sorts of cool stuff so check it out guys as for me go to dscomedy.com check out all the things going around on the network uh release dates new episodes of the social hour every wednesday and more guys for the dollar bin podcast i've been Dees. peace